and welcome to Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. This series aims to allow some of the best producers, mixers, engineers and other music industry people to discuss their careers and their approach to music. The success of this series depends on people hearing it, so don't forget to tell your friends if you like what you hear and remember to give it a five-star rating and please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, special offers and promotions. This episode is brought to you in association with KMR, the UK's leading independent pro-audio retailer and recorded in association with Audient and the ID44. It's also brought to you in association with FilePass, a file sharing platform built specifically for the needs of the audio industry. It allows your clients to hear your mixes in the way that you want them to hear them. Find out more at kpmixbus.com and follow us on facebook.com slash kpmixbus and at kpmixbus on Instagram and Twitter. Today I'm joined by programmer, producer, writer and innovator Tim Brand. Tim has been around music and technology for nearly 30 years, working with legends such as Julian Cope, Youth and Richard Ashcroft. He was one of the founders of Res Rocket, a piece of software that allowed musicians to collaborate in real time over the internet, and he has also been a member of the highly influential dub reggae techno pioneers Dread Zone with his friend Greg Roberts. He's also one half of My Riot alongside Roy Kerr, my Riots have produced and written for such artists as London Grammar, Birdie and James Morrison and have continued to be one of the most successful partnerships in the studio. Welcome, Tim. Hello. Nice to be here. Oh, I'm in my studio. Yeah, I don't need to nice, say it. Nice, nice to be for here. me to be here. <laughs> Thank Welcome. you. Where do we start, Tim? How about your love for dub reggae and electronic music? Where did that come from? I was thinking about this the other day because obviously leading up to, a, to talking about what you've done, you suddenly think, especially when you've been in it a few years like me you kind of realize all the different um different levels you get you know different places you go with your career and and that was me coming from guernsey i'm originally from guernsey in the channel islands uh from a quiet uh quiet little island of sixty-five thousand people for all my kind of you know teens and early 20s coming to london and getting a job at island records okay and in their studios, not not for the record. It was for the record company. I was being paid by the record company. But back in those days in St. Peter's Square, they had two studios, one called the Fallout Shelter, which oh, yeah. you may have heard of. Yeah, I remember that. And it was an SSL deep in deep below Island Records. And uh, there was one opposite as well. Actually, two studios opposite. One was a mastering studio. And then there was a 16 track with like uh, an Atari in there and stuff. And that was, I did actually most of my work in there. Um, I was just, they'd just literally say, right, this week you've got this band, this week you've got this band. They were very wise having their own studios because obviously right. paying for another studio to demo a band is really yeah. expensive. Was it really expensive in those days? They thought wisely and had this amazing SSL studio in the basement, which actually most of their stuff came out of. Wow. And this other studio opposite. So I worked with some great people in there. They was literally every Monday. I wouldn't know who I was working with until the morning. And then Trevor White, um, my old boss there, uh, would say, oh, you're working with the guys from BAD this week. I'd be like, oh, wow, brilliant. Or you'd be working with Julian Cope. That's how I met Julian. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and many others, some loads of hip-hop stuff. And But it was literally like living in Jamaica, working for Island Records back then. It's probably not like that anymore. But it was, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was really incredible. It was such an atmosphere there. Some yeah. of the great people running it. Fourth and Broadway were in there as well. Yes, so there was yes, loads of hip-hop stuff. And... It was, yeah. Because they had like, well, I mean, although they weren't from the UK, they signed Eric B and Rakim. Yep, so they many. Had loads of people, didn't it they? It was a real buzzy record company yeah. and, and so much going on. Like work, Mango Records was based yeah. out there. So okay. it was right across the board. Suddenly I was, I'd moved from Guernsey literally over a weekend. That's a whole nother story. I got the job on the Friday and they said, can you start on Monday? And I, That's of amazing. course, said yes. Um, and then came over and, and met all these incredible, I was in with hip hop people straight away hip-hop bands and artists having not used a sampler before suddenly there's an s1000 in front of me i was literally <laughs> i know everyone says this but i was literally in the toilet reading the manual or going to ask somebody how do you get them how do yeah, you put stuff in yeah. a key group and how do yeah, you make yeah, stuff yeah. how oh do gosh, i sample you know Jesus. yeah exactly it takes you back right? yeah. but um it was uh yeah i literally had to learn it straight off and um and then ended up working, like I say, with people like um, Greg and, and Leo and Don Letts, um, who were at the time called Screaming Target. Yeah. And uh, Julian Cope. And I was basically fell in love with with uh, dub, especially. You say reggae, but dub reggae. I just, the, the being able to play a mixing desk was like me playing an instrument. I just, I don't know. 
why what, what, I loved it so much. But it was I'm a keyboard player. You're, you're a musician. Yeah, that's, that's your thing. Piano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I started on yeah, studied piano, studied violin and guitar, and played guitar and stuff in bands. But I'd say keyboards and and mixing desks are now my <laughs> instruments. But I just loved the fact you could literally set up some delays and feed them back on themselves, and just yeah. and you sometimes didn't know what you're going to get yeah, gonna of course, out of it. Yeah. Um, so it was like a new instrument, it was like, and I've just fell in love with it and, and decided to try and nail it. And through Dreadzone, of course, that that came true. What sort of music were you into when you left Guernsey? Oh, I was into like were you into pop the music? Clash and okay, you were into and, underground sort of. Well, not underground, but it was the Clash and the undertones and uh, the jam, and and then obviously uh, you know um, through the eighties it was uh, Human League, uh, you know. All, all the Pop electronic stuff, stuff yeah. that came out. Oh yeah. my goodness, that was like, what is this? You know, yeah. Dare, you know, things like that. Human League. Oh, what other bands? I was. Oh, Gary Newman, I yeah. loved as well. Things like that. Just seeing, and then he, interestingly, Gary Newman mixed the live with the synths, which was like another and brilliant yeah, hybrid. Right. Which is actually thinking about it, what I'm still doing today. I'm mixing the electronics with with Roy um, Kerr, who I work with in my right. We we go between the two worlds and and mix the electronics and and the uh, and the live instruments. I think that's where most of the magic can happen. I think and that's that's sort of where you sort of where you found yourself heading towards. I think so. Yeah, unknowingly, but yeah, I mean, yeah. just electronic. I kind of hit the beginning of like I had an early Lin drum and things like that, and so, suddenly discovering all these samples and being able to mix it all together and. Going back to my own studio in Guernsey and trying it all out, I had the, you know, to try it on other people. Actually, I'd get bands in wanting me to record them, and I'd just try stuff out on them. Really, and it, obviously, it worked out fine. But they, they, I could experiment with adding samples and electronics yeah, sure. and effects and stuff. So, so that's basically your technique, isn't it? That's that's who you are as a. I think so. Thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. And your influences, like you say, were were the Clash and, and electronic stuff, and you got into dub. Where were your informative years? Was that was that down at the bunker? I think so. I think that's, that's where you learned your technique and yeah. Well, down. Well, you. It's funny because I went from bunker to bunker because in Guernsey, my studio. I don't know if you know this, but in in Guernsey was occupied during the Second World War. Right. So there was there's loads of German bunkers there. Okay. Most of which are now studios. I've got. There. Oh, I can really? name two or three that are now really nice studios. You go in and go, oh my goodness, there's a high tech studio. Well, yeah, and then, what else can you do with a German bunker that's underground? <laughs> I mean, most people back yeah. in the day were storing wine in them and things like that, but there was okay. not much else you could do. So I remember renting my studio. I was thinking about this. Uh, I think it was thirty pound a month. I was renting my studio for, Amazing. and it was like huge, huge underground labyrinth of rooms. Um, so I went from that bunker in Guernsey where I was trying stuff out, literally trying stuff out and learning how to use a Lindrum and a sequencer, hmm. moving to London, then learning samplers and stuff in Island Records, Fallout Shelter, um, in there and, and the the, um, the room opposite where actually I did most of my stuff, like I say, in the 16 track, working with people like you know, Julian Cope and Misha Paris and Omar and loads of hip-hop oh, wow. stuff, yeah. Overlord X, Black Radical. Yeah, yeah. Ended up playing on I've loads of stuff as records. well. Have you? There you I, go. I genuinely still got them. Oh, that, still I got mean, them. these guys coming in and just flooring me with their, you know, their rap and stuff. I mean, just incredible talent. And ended up playing loads of it. There was a Hammond and organ sitting in the corner and they'd yeah. be like, oh, they'd have their, the decks out and they'd go, oh, can you can you play that? I was like, yeah, sure. So I'd end up playing Hammond yeah. on stuff. That's how I met Julian Cope, you know, okay. playing Hammond on stuff. And, and then after that, you, you met Youth. Well, though, in between that, I did a kind of world tour. Uh, Julian, at the end of the album, it was Peggy Suicide. I was in, involved in that album, engineering that. And Hugo Nicholson did a lot, did a lot of it as well. And at the end of the album, because I played on loads of stuff, just kind of naturally, I didn't... Yeah, you just say, can you play some keyboards? And I'd naturally play it anyway. But um, Julian said, do you want to come on tour? And I was like, okay. this was somebody who I was playing his songs in my... I was singing reward and passionate friend you know in a, in a in a band when i was like you know 14 and he's asking me to go on a world tour with him what i was just like? i was blown away I, I said yes straight away and then thought oh no i've got a job hold it uh, <laughs> but i amazingly and i i still thank him well, i'm thanking him now but trevor wyatt who was my boss at ireland said you go on tour with him you can come back and have your job and he did the that's, same with screaming brilliant. target i went on tour with screaming target who were an island act both of them island acts he said you can have your job back when you can go on tour with them and help them with the sound and stuff, which was incredible. I mean, having, yeah. that's the win-win. You know, went on a world tour, Japan, America, with Julian Cope, yeah. playing bass and keyboards, and then came back and carried on, and then met Greg Dreadzone, you know, and, yeah. and Leo and Don Letts, and that was yeah, that led it through to 
to getting into Dread Zone, which was pretty much the 90s. Okay. Uh, 92, 96 was the peak for me with Little Britain. Yes. Signed to Virgin Records, signed to Creation Records first. Yeah. Then signed to uh, Virgin, Little Britain, uh, before the TV series. I yeah. like to think they might have heard it. That was a record. big hit, Top of the Pops. Yeah, that album I'm record. still ex- really proud of, Second Light. Uh, it was just uh, everything that was right about Dread Zone and the way we were thinking about the world and Britain and the, where we were living and the hope and the not hope, things were going on at the time, poll tax and all this stuff. And uh, it all came into that record and really just hit a nerve with everybody. I think it was a... Quite an apt name as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we did loads of touring. We just tour every festival. They're still going. They're still touring. Yeah. Um, do you still do anything with those guys? Yeah, I've been involved oh, in the last few records. I've, I've mixed um, mixed the last few records and wrote a couple on a couple of albums ago. And, and uh, always see Greg. He lives up the road. And always yeah. you know see Leo now and again and Don um, and Dan as well. So I mean, yeah, keep in touch with with those guys. And they're still touring, like I say. So yeah. they're all still the every festival. Aren't they? Yeah, very, and they rock it every time. So Left Island Records. Yeah. Went Did Dread tour. Zone. Yeah. Julian Coke, Dread Zone. Then discovered technology, deep technology. Res Rocket, you mentioned them on the internet. Yes. That's so right. Res Rocket. Tell, tell us about that. Well, it's a long story, but I'll try and condense it. So basically, we figured out me and this guy called Will Henshaw, who lived here, he's now living in LA, but he uh, was in a band called London Beat, which I produced. Yeah. Met them. I did an album with them. Me and him really got on, both tech heads, really musicians, tech heads, just absolutely got on like a house on fire, still good friends. And uh, he was like, let's form a virtual band. It was early days of the internet, really early days yeah. of the internet. Will is the kind of guy who doesn't do anything unless it's 100%. He won't just go, oh, let's try this out. He So he set up a server, set up an ISDN line, really full-on internet, even though it was just modems and you could barely anybody I, had ISDN. In Kensal Road, in Kensal yeah. Town. Well, it's Kensal Studios, yeah, uh, above East Coast. And we had a big room up there. We had a really fast internet line. We set up servers. We set up a virtual band. We didn't know quite what it was yet. But then we met these two guys in the States called Matt Moller and Canton Becker. They were fresh out of college and they were complete tech heads, but also musicians. So our equivalent in America, weirdly. Yeah. They were more, they could code though. They could make this stuff. So they'd figured out how to make MIDI work over the internet, even on a modem, even on a cell phone. You could like you know, plug your laptop into your cell phone and MIDI's tiny information. It's That's kilobytes. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't stream it, so if just to get technical for that, you wouldn't stream it. It would you'd be running a sequence at your end, and when it came in, it would as, uh, align with your timeline. So it didn't matter if you were stopped or playing or whatever. It would just line it up with your timeline. So it was a big loop basically. Yeah. It would come in, it would play in time with your stuff. And we tried this out with them, and it was really basic software at the time, really basic. But we were like, this is the virtual band. Yeah, we can have anybody anywhere in the world playing with us. Yeah. So we did it. We set up, the four of us set up a company called Res Rocket. That was generated by a random word generator, by the way. We put loads of, it was actually Res Rocket Surfer. We thought the great loads put loads of cyber names into it and it came up with Res Rocket Surfer. We were like, yeah, there you go. Um, it later changed to Rocket Network when it became posh. We were jamming with people in all over the world, Venezuela, Chicago, Australia, some of which I'm still friend, Norway, uh, you Incredible. name it. There was Australia, yeah, all over the world. Every night, late night, we were just there every night in the studio. Was it just a hobby at that point? No, it was never a hobby. We always knew we had to see this through. It was like, I've said this since, it's kind of like holding a holy grail and going, I have to see this through. So I kind of left the music. I left Red Zone. I was producing other stuff as well. So I kind of left Red Zone right at the peak, really, at that time. And um, with Little Britain coming out and stuff and touring. And to be honest, I'd had enough of touring by then. I toured for about 10 years and I was really burnt out. I wasn't very, I wasn't particularly healthy. I was eating really badly and I was smoking too, way too much. And it was just all too much. And I, and I yeah, I, I was over it. I was yeah, really over yeah. it. I was kind of pretty broken by that time. Too much touring can do that to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Most, um, a lot of people go through that. Yeah, it was just becoming another hotel, another bus and another hotel. And I just, when you don't enjoy it anymore, that's the time to quit. So it was a good kind of time to go, right, I'm going to see this through. So, yeah, then we set up a company, ended up like, I don't know how many, 50, 60 people working for us in San Francisco, got highly invested in. Paul Allen invested, he started Microsoft, he he invested it in the States. We ended up with this massive company, which in the end, we worked with Logic, we worked with Potals, we worked with Cubase, they all put it into their software, and now it's, not many people know this, but it's actually in 
Pro Tools. Right. It's called Pro Tools Collaboration, I believe, oh, yes, now. Yes, it's just yes. been released a few years ago. It's taken all this time for them to get it in and get it working incredibly well. And also Digi Delivery, which was something else we came up with. Moving oh, really? files. You, yeah, you that's guys... what we, we came up with that as a byproduct of moving stuff around. Yeah, yeah. It was an. Uh, uh, well, Digi Delivery was. Yeah, it was in ages. Yeah, that was highly successful. Yeah, it was yeah. a kind of. Uh, lossless compression, a yeah. way of getting your sessions around, basically, which is what we were doing when we were sending sessions. So jumping back to the MIDI, we got working, and then one day Matt Muller in the States said, I think I know how to get audio working with this. And we were like, what? Wow. When can you Game get this changer. done? And he literally said, I can do this over the weekend. So he went away and coded away, and then on the whenever it was over the weekend, maybe it was Sunday night or something, me and Will went to the studio, and he sent us a bass drum. And then sent us a vocal, and we were like, "Oh my god, this changes everything." So we had to see that through. That's proper so, George. Yeah, it like. was proper. And I think we might have that on on film. Actually, my friend Rupert's been making a documentary all the time. So you'll, one day you'll see that documentary. It's quite a mad story. It ended up getting bought by Digi Design Avid in yeah. the end, and then obviously now they've got Digi Delivery. So cut a lot. Very long story short, that's a whole era. But then had to get back into music. I was like, "Hold it, we've seen that through now. What am I going to do yeah, now?" Yeah, you would have been out for what? Five yeah, years. yeah, at least. Yeah, because I remember you at the mute studio coming up to the studio, that's right. and you were using the internet connection. There. That's right. I was. And, yeah, and like you were on the floor. Yeah, with a, with a tiny tiny keyboard. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm just jamming with some guys in San Francisco. Yeah, it we literally like, was what? that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, just plug me in, and like, it, it was fascinating. I mean, it was proper yeah. like eye opening, jaw dropping kind of stuff and you imagine having that technology i had to see it through there's no yeah. way i could have gone you know what let's put that aside and that that way. no absolutely it was incredible yeah. and like I mean, I said, you were I right was... at the cutting edge there that was a yeah you know that was when the internet was literally being born it was really you know, early days we oh we ended up week. we ended up on tomorrow's world do you remember tomorrow's world I do yeah we did a live it was live on bbc i mean it's the most nervous i think i've you ever must been. Have been very nervous i was sitting in the helm in in uh the Made of L Studios and with Cold Cut actually yeah. uh, and that leads on to how I got back into the music business um, but we ended up doing a live thing with oh, all sorts of people all over the world Thomas Dolby I think was in San Francisco and we had to make a track while they were doing the TV TV show basically and it was absolutely with vocals and everything uh, Sinead O'Connor was singing it literally by the skin of our teeth yeah I had to go and have a lie down afterwards it was too much it was like it was too stressful lie down in a yeah, large brand yeah I literally <laughs> had to have a lie down um, but yeah it was amazing it was amazing so seeing that through and then coming out of that and then oh I really want to get back into producing but I didn't really know anybody things have moved on a bit so Matt Black cold cut yeah. got him to thank for this I'll do that now um, Matt Black uh, was with Youth and I think Youth said to him oh look my, my programme is leaving programmer slash engineer he was leaving and um i stepped in and and uh, worked for youth for about oh goodness five six maybe longer uh, years yeah. made some great albums with him learned a lot of sure, him yeah. he's a he's a real old school new school because he loves technology as well but he's got he uses many techniques of brilliant psychology i learned so much can you, can you describe one of them? Can you think of one sort of thing? That's... I don't want to give his secrets away, really. No, no, no here, I mean, you're here he's... to give the secrets away. Uh, <laughs> I learned so many things off him that just getting the band or the artist in the right frame of mind, and that might not be the happiest. That might right, not be okay. good. What if it's a sad song? You don't want somebody to be, All hey, jolly. everybody. Yeah. You really need to feel somebody, a poignant moment or making a special moment and just so many little lovely things he would do. I don't know, just... just the psychology him work. of, of, of yeah, the producer. I think that's a major thing to learn. He, he was a musician, it's not just plugging in a mic and expecting somebody to pour their heart out in that little box over there. Yeah, it's how would you ever do that? Yeah. And and I've used I, not techniques of his, but I've just thought about that when I've, especially with vocals, which is literally pouring your heart out, whether yeah. it's a happy song or a sad song. Or, um, I try and help the singer get into that way of thinking, and and however that is. Do, do you do that by looking at the lyrics and, and usually thinking about the song? Do you discuss the song? It could be something song? as reminding them what they're saying, singing about. Yeah. Because they would have sung that song since they've written it maybe quite a few times. Yeah, maybe hundreds Whether it's times. live yeah, yeah. or and now you're recording it, you want to remind them how what those words mean, whether that is happy or sad or whatever. Um, but just kind of get them in the right place and and just. I don't know. It is. It is almost like a psychotherapy. Almost getting yeah. getting. Is that the right word? Psychotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. Getting them into so. the 
the right mood to yeah. go and sing that song, well, that and, song and capturing that that's the thing i never don't hit record that's a lesson i've learned where you know you go i'll oh, just run through it and you don't record and you think oh, that was well, actually that was, the one. that was that was the one i haven't got it so that my first tip to anybody is record everything even yeah. if it's just the because pretty much the first and second take they will do something that they'll never do again yeah because from third take on they'll be yeah I, th I think particularly there. with new people with sort of new artists I don't even know about that. Yeah, you know, I the first two or three takes yeah. are the ones where they're 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 not thinking about They're on the they're on. They don't know what they're yeah. going to do next. Sometimes yeah. it's the same Whereas, with playing a guitar or anything. Sometimes the first two takes, when you literally don't know what you're doing, yeah, <laughs> to an extent, you capture things that you a little mistake might be the best thing that ends up on the track. You know, but you have to learn to recognise when the mistake is a positive well yeah <laughs> don't you i mean yeah. you know it's not as easy as that's a mistake we leave that yeah, in of course of course you, how, how do yeah. you make that judgment is that something that you feel feel yeah as a, as a listener yeah it's how i feel it's in literally in my gut reaction to something if there's a croak or a little moment where they give a emotion away it's not always good like you say but yeah. if that makes you feel something then hopefully that'll make other people feel something how, how do you when, when something like that happens how do you convince the artist that they should leave it i because think usually they're up for that i don't know i think a lot of people are actually up for it unless they really don't like it and of course it's their record i would never yeah. impose something on an artist or a band that i even if i thought it was the best thing in the world that they if they didn't like it yeah. that's their record at the end of the day sure and there has to be you know i'm, I'm not the kind of producer who puts my sound on it on people yeah. enforces stuff yeah. there's some producers that do that and you know what you're getting when you go to them but i can work with many different types of artists you started off as an engineer yeah 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 engineer yeah which maybe a lot of people coming into the industry might find themselves in that engineer sort of programmer role on the computer <laughs> on the computer basically yeah. just Pretty you know much. using stuff but yeah. also being very creative how do you sort of when you're working with an artist, how do you find that that relationship in terms of offering yourself up, but at the same time not sort of overstepping the, the imaginary line that exists between the people in the room? Everyone's mm. sort of, you know, the engineer has a role, the producer has a role, even the assistant has a role. Totally. How do you sort of learn that, those boundaries? What, where, That's where a really do... good question. I mean, I... I... There's less boundaries. Well, there's obviously boundaries for me now, but there's less. But there was more boundaries when I was uh, perhaps working at Ireland, and my naivety. I ended up playing on stuff anyway. It was a, it was a natural uh, thing. I didn't even think about it. But thinking back, I was ended up playing on stuff that I didn't force it on them. But there was like, a, oh, I'll play this just for the necessity of nobody else could play something. So I ended right. up playing keyboards and stuff. Um, but then I think I learned my role, those roles, working with youth, because obviously he was the producer and I was the engineer slash programmer, so I had to get on with stuff. And oh, was, there was Clive Goddard as well, engineering as well. Yeah. So I, um, we, we literally had our roles within that and, and pretty much stayed in those in those roles. But again, you know, I, I, yeah, you have to learn to bite your tongue now and again. And right. and and I now see this from the other side of the coin where you know like you said an assistant is really important and a, yeah. you know they're really as important if you've got the wrong assistant it can it can make a session really awful yeah as in engineer and everybody is important yeah. Ev literally everybody who's in that room at the time yeah. and if they overstep their mark or say something out of turn it's like it's one thing it's like session. oh this you, you know the assistant and... might say oh this song reminds me of such and such and what if the artist hates that song very good point yeah, I mean, it's yeah, like... It's a vibe killer straight yeah, away. Yeah, it's like, what, Hardy, I don't like this song anymore because it reminds them of that song. Yeah. So things like yeah. that, you, one comment or one... You have to be so careful, yet instinctive, and, and maybe get your point across in, in, a, in a... You know, maybe I want the song more like this song. Yeah. So I have to okay. say, well, do you yeah. like... You know, you have to t steer the, the, the artist towards being open to you know, referencing a song, but they might not like that song. So you have to be very careful. In, uh, everybody has to be careful and... and uh, but at the same time, you, but at the same time, you, you don't want to shut down no, the creativity. Absolutely, do you? Because you know, um, a, a, an environment of fear. Yes, and reticence. A, a reticence, yeah. yeah. It doesn't necessarily, well, more times than not, doesn't produce yeah. something that's original. Or, absolutely, or, or brave, or brave. Or, yeah, yes. you don't want anything too safe all the time. Yeah. I, I, 
Well, you, I, you've I, never really worked on safe records, really. I looked at your thing yesterday, and even even if you worked with an artist that on paper might be safe, your work with them, and, and that's with with Roy as well, yeah, um, was never really safe. It's well, you always you. try that's to a, take. I take that as a compliment. I, I no, do try and try to take that artist and move them. Or mag, I, I use the term magnify. I try magnify. and magnify what they do. So if even if it was just a person with a, I don't know, piano and a vocal, yeah. I try and magnify. What's the best gig they could play? What's the what would be the best sounds to put around that thing? I still want the picture of them playing the piano and sitting there, or playing the acoustic guitar and sitting there, or just sing, standing there singing. What's the world that you want to create around them? Yeah, and that's quite hard to do sometimes. But it's like with a singer, you could put any backdrop on them. You could put electronic you put acoustic you put so it's like what do they want and you were talking about not you know leading them uh down a musical path i always get them to send me a playlist of stuff that they're into so i what's their right. world what's their right. parameters what they like from this really electronic thing to this really acoustic thing what's what's in all those things that capturing their ears and what's making their ears prick up because if and i try you... and follow that path with them and show them stuff that they might not have done otherwise what's the point of me being there sure um and now and again, I'll be playing something. They go, what was that? Or, you know, I'll, I'll well, Roy will play some crazy thing he's made out of their voice or, right. uh, you know, stretching their voice or tune, making something out of the, I don't know, playing stuff that they wouldn't normally like. And they'll go, oh, what was that? So, again, we wouldn't put anything on that they didn't, they hated, of course. But, of course, But yeah. we'll definitely throw things in there that they wouldn't have done. And usually that opens up little Pandora's boxes of worlds that they'll, you know, yeah. even for each song. Yeah, you know, sometimes sure. their sound will be on one song. And excuse the banging in the background, by the way. My studio is above. You haven't noticed it. No. My studio is above a, a scrapyard, <laughs> which is really old school. Uh, but it's uh, I love it because they never complain about the noise. Um, but you will yeah. hear them banging boilers. Oh, and I'm, again. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's I'm fine. used to it. I usually play loud music. So I want to talk about your, your relationship with Roy. Mm. How, how did that come about? Okay, so I met Roy. Uh, Jazz Summers, in fact, put us together. We okay. were both managed yeah. by Big Life. Yeah, Big Life. Um, Roy used to be, well, used to be, is still uh, an artist called the Freelance Hellraiser. And okay. he, he uh, comes from a DJing and mashup kind of background. He did a lot of those early mashups, the Christina Aguilera Strokes one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's was brilliant. him. So that was his big, uh, that was his hit as a mashup. He's done many other great yeah. ones. Uh, and really started that idea off um, and then went into remixing and making his own album, which is just about to be re-released, I believe. Um, so, yeah, he, he was came from that kind of world. Uh, and I came from the kind of classically trained engineering world. And Jazz put us together. He, he always said, um, you two would work really well together. And he put us together for a couple of little projects, little one-offs. We worked on a Larue uh, kind of remix slash mix. Uh, and we also worked on a Scissor Sisters track together. Um, yeah. And then, literally, the third thing we worked on was the London Grammar album, the first London Grammar. Jazz was like, right, you two, go... And, and produce this and you know we, this, these guys are an amazing band and, and we really want to get this album finished and uh, we were literally in the studio with them a few that was weeks their later. first record wasn't it yeah the first one yeah. what, what were they like to work with when I mean fantastic I mean they were they'd you know. never really done a gig they'd done a couple of gigs at uni they'd never toured yet they had the musical maturity I've never really experienced before just the depth of music they'd be playing stuff playing and singing and oh my god it still kind of makes me wonder how yeah. these days but that was the purity in it and i think that's what they exuded then was the purity of they didn't know how much they had i think they'd never like i say they never toured they never it was just natural what they did together the three of them was just it's a bit like exquisite. When, when people say someone's cool because they don't realize how cool they are exactly that or how good they are yeah exactly yeah. that exactly that um and we went in the studio and uh, pretty much got them to play together. The first thing we did, and that was the sound. It was the three of them together. That when you have three people in a band, um, if one drops out, it's a massive silence, and that can be really magical. So you know, Dan would stop playing guitar for a bit, and there'd be just piano and vocals, and then maybe some strings and some sounds from machine or sounds from the synth, and and it was just that fragility and yeah. uh, we had to really manage that fragility and not fill stuff up too much we we're always very wary of that with obviously with them as well guiding the process and 
Um, well, they were they were obviously open to you. Yeah, but yeah, to, to, to yourself and boy, very much. You know? And 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 it, I didn't want them to think we were in there to change them or to you know make them into something they weren't. And well, hopefully we didn't. The and producer I, is it? The role of the producer isn't to change a band. Well, you unless, say that, unless, but some, unless it's predetermined. Some producers are, I think. Yeah, some, you know, you know, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to help them open up their world. And and I'm really proud of that record. I think that's the most. Apart from Dread Zone, Second Light, and, yeah. and a few others, I think that's the most proud I've been of an actual album and, and just capturing that magic. And we really did, especially with, uh, like, for instance, Night Call, which is yeah. a cover of the song from the Drive soundtrack. We were, I just remember it so clearly. We were in the studio one night, and I think the label or, or maybe the management wanted them to do a cover or something. And I remember Roy saying, Oh, what about Night Call? And they were like, Oh, yeah, we love that song. And and then Hannah knew the chords already, and Dot went and played something, and, 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 uh, I think Dot played drums on that, maybe, and Dan was playing the guitar, and they pretty much did it as a live take. Fantastic! I love that. And that studio. was in one night, and we were like, "This is," and that's why it's on. Sometimes it just edges into like there's nothing happening, and then suddenly something comes in. It's beautiful moments in that 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 um, that captures them at their best. I think just yeah. that absolute fragility, and and obviously. Hannah's voice is, is, is one wonderful. of the finest voices. Yeah. I, I will admit, I, I when we were recording. Um, um, wasting my young years, I I did get her to do an, an extra few takes of the vocal just because I was enjoying it so much. Really? I'd just be sitting there on my own <laughs> listening to Hannah singing. I mean, what more, more do you please? want? Just one <laughs> just, more. Just, I I was really moved. I remember it. it was really That's connecting lovely. with me, and and you know, uh, and that I knew that would connect with loads of people. Yeah, I just knew it. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you get a feeling, don't you? You, you, think, do. you know what this is. This you go. Is if this is moving me right now. Yeah. That's gonna. People are just gonna, and I've I've watched people at Glastonbury, watching them live and just being streaming. You know, yeah, I'm getting emotional just talking about it. Yeah, that's good. That's but good. Just to see that connecting music, connecting with people like that, it's really magical. Well, that's 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 what we live for, isn't it? Really. That was that's the the most I've seen it connect with people. Again, Dread Zone as well. I've seen that just direct. Well, it's a different kind of thing, though, isn't different, it? The Dread yeah. Zone thing. It's a much more yeah. energy. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely sort of, losing yourself. Almost, yeah, losing and, yourself. And, and being, state, yeah, you, being happy. Utopia, and, yeah, euphoric. Yeah, exactly. Euphoric, that's, yeah. that's it. But um, yeah, so that's a great example of capturing, bottling that that magic and and uh, and and recording everything and and using some moments where you know. There's not much going on, but that silence is as important as the music. You know? Yeah, for sure. When when you start writing with with a partner, with with someone like Roy, how how does the dynamic work there? I mean, is is that do you sort of both know kind of what you're supposed to be doing with each other? Is that a relationship that you sort of instantly fell into, or is it something that you learn? How how does the songwriting process begin with with yourself and Roy? I think because he came from a more electronic mashup DJ background, um, and I've come from the more analog side, I like to think of it as those two worlds. We do cross over. He wouldn't. He says, "Oh, I'm not a player," but actually, I've heard him play some great keyboard parts and great organ things. And he's he's a he's uh, closet keyboard. He is. A, he is. He is. He can <laughs> certainly play, and he certainly has a musical ear. And, and well, for definitely, sure. sure. If he's a DJ, um, but he's not trained in that respect. So that's what he means, I think, when he says he's not a musical person but he really is he knows he knows what's right and wrong sometimes he knows what's wrong and then puts it in and it's brilliant and sometimes those moments of not knowing yeah. sometimes if you know too much yeah. you're giving your your you think well i can't go to that key because that's not a relative major you know <laughs> so i like to think of the uh, you know i love recording vocals and weirdly i love comping vocals i i don't know if that's weird but i really enjoy it and i the process of, of comping a vocal and just getting it to sound as good as it can I absolutely love it, and it's a real challenge for me, and and uh, getting the best out of it, and mixing. I love and the finer detail and um, crafting and 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 arrangement and you know recording stuff, recording, getting the. You know, I've learned at Island Records. I learned. I was lucky enough to learn how to put the mics on something and learn what to do. And um, how, how did you learn that though? Because just did you have a, I did you watch were, in the studio. You were but, probably. Were you on your own in the studio then? Or as, um, as yeah, a lot of the time, a lot of the time. But I watch engineers sometimes. I actually learned a lot of a guy called Laurie Latham as well, oh, who, yeah. who produced a lot of 
a lot of stuff he's still producing now, but a lot of like the Christians and Paul Young and things like that. Yeah. He he came to Guernsey and he actually got my job, my job at Island Records. He, he said politely when they left uh, Guernsey, he said, oh, if you're ever in London, he actually set me up meetings and the first meeting was with Island Records. They gave me the job. But uh, I watched him miking stuff up and using synths in the studio. He, he just let me hang out. I wasn't doing anything working for them or anything, but he really kindly let me hang out and learn. He, I think he saw I was keen and I wasn't hopefully too annoying um, in the well, studio. I kept not. my mouth shut and watched, just not, watched, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really soak up. Still, every day, you know, I'm l trying something out or learning. Yeah. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Tr yeah. Reading something, go, oh, I'm going to try that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Always Absol following the, absolutely. The, 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 trying to follow or trying to, you know, if you hear a record that you like, you think, oh, how are they doing that? Yeah, exactly. And you, you'll spend an hour or two trying to replicate that that's, idea that's the great thing about what we do is that you never reach your best or you never you've never done everything yeah. <laughs> you've never recorded everything or you've never mic'd up something in the right way or you've never used every sound or it's always a challenge and always a, a, a well I, I just love it i just love everything about every side of it really apart from running off stems you're not a fan of that well who, who is <laughs> <laughs> who is i don't know so how, how do you avoid Typically oh, yeah. starts. That was the question. Uh, no, so, no, no. yeah, so we came from two different worlds, and, and I think he tends to go more towards the kind of bass beats, sounds, crazy synths and stuff, and I'll maybe come up with a more kind of melodic, maybe, although he does as well. So, we do cross over quite a bit, but typically, you know, there'll be a chord or a sound or that will trigger something off. And I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, we wrote a great song with Aurora, um, who's a fantastic, if you haven't heard her stuff, yeah. check her out. She's incredible um, from Norway. She's, she's a wonderful artist. We've done a couple of albums with her, or it was one album that was split into two. And we, we wrote a song with her and she came in and picked up, I've got weird instruments around the studio, and she picked up a little thumb piano thing. Oh, yeah. This isn't yeah. the very one, but it was this... This kind of sound, little, um, yeah, little crazy. And she played a little riff on it, and nobody'd ever got anything out of this instrument before that was remotely in tune. And I was like, Hold it, that's hold it, that's in the key of D, that's really weird. And um, we proceeded to write a song with her, and that was the start, that was the little spark that started the fire. And it's sometimes a little chord sequence, or a little synth sound, or a little even just a drum beat, or something, yeah. or a bass line, or it's just one thing will trigger it off, and then. Typically, we work with artists who are obviously singers, and um, so they'll maybe get a lyric idea. It depends on the on the artist again, of course. If you've got somebody sitting there with an acoustic guitar, if they play piano, then they, it might be them starting the idea. Sure. Off. So it's every, that's they might, again. They might have the chords. Yeah. Or the melody. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or they might not have anything, and we'll come up with loads of music, and then they'll write. They'll sit there scribbling lyrics away, and then. Uh, you know, sing a vocal, and we're like, "Wow, where did that come from?" You know, suddenly you've got a song. So every time it's different. That again, that's why I love it because every writing session, you don't know what you've never met the person before. Yeah, most sometimes of the time. you're yeah. walking. It's quite strange walking into a room, and typically with us, the artist will just turn up, say hi, and within an hour before lunch, we'll have an idea of something. Sometimes a lot. That's of quite liberating, the song, though, isn't it? It's I mean, fantastic. That's, that's, you know, that's quite exciting. I love it, and actually, up until the last couple of years, we didn't really do a lot of writing we were more producing with with london grammar we didn't write anything with them we were just producing so we went into it as a producing thing and then thought hold it we can write as well yeah. so we've met some great and actually it's a great way to meet an artist or a band to write with them first because there's no parameters they're not coming in with a song that they want produced nor really there's a demo or you're coming you've got nothing so you can start paper, off like with aurora she started playing this little sound and like wow where that started off a whole song and that might then inspire another song and that you know in that same kind of world so you, there's no there's no not many boundaries as to where you can go sonically which is nice so suddenly an artist will come up with a song that they might not have written if yeah. had they had the chords already or had they had uh, the demo already you know. how do you keep your ego under check because i mean you know all artists uh, have an ego of some form whether it's yeah a relaxed ego or quite intense and obviously, you want to feel like you're part of something. How do you manage that when you're working with Roy and, and another artist, or even two or three people? Mm. Is that just your temperament? I think as a it person? is. Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm not perfect, but I I don't really try and bring an ego into it. Having another ego in the room, I don't mind. 
an artist having an ego. In fact, you know, if they're a singer and they've got a bit of an attitude to them, as long as it's not nasty, or yeah. they've got a bit of a, a charisma, or a, Wisdom, that's yeah. great. That's what you want in an artist. You don't want to shut that down. I don't want to be yeah. bigger than the, you know, in the room than the artist. Yeah, that's, that's I want what I mean. You know, how, how, do you, how do you go about not being the biggest thing in the room? But obviously, it's your, it's your room. Yeah, like we're, here yeah, in your, we're here in your studio. You could quite easily be Johnny Big Potatoes, you know, and, and Timmy Big Potatoes, or Timmy yeah. Big Potatoes, more importantly, yeah. you know, and and direct it from that mm. point of view. Yet we both know that that's not best way to no. encourage. People. If it needs to be done, then fine. If if maybe that the, the the artist hasn't got an idea, or they're not, I'll I'll just do stuff, and if they like it, then that's great. Or I'll try something. I'll go down a different avenue and try and help them find that. But. I mean, I have an ego, obviously, and but I have experience and I have a confidence in that experience and those m multiple situations I've been in and I try and bring that to them and offer that to them. You know, I, I'm not here to help me. Yeah. Well, I mean, my career is obviously important Your career is based on yeah, making, making records. records. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, it is. And, I, and I, that's my enjoyment of collaboration. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why I work with Roy. I love working with Roy. We can travel really fast on a song. You know, he... Sometimes I'm comping a vocal on headphones in the room while he's working on something else with the artist. We can literally do two things at once sometimes. So we can do well, that, so much in that, a day that or sounds two. Like a, you know, that's a great relationship to have where you're, where you're both respectful of each other's talents. Yeah, we know our regard, strong points. Certainly. And you know your strengths and you say, okay, look, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel the need to be involved in that because I know what I'm doing is really important. Mm, mm. And I love comping And you love comping <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Sadist. Yeah. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and it must have been hell when it was tape. Well, yeah. We were chatting about this earlier before we started recording, weren't we, about you know, recording, you know, doing the podcast like this. Imagine editing that on tape. Yeah. That been, been oh, a nightmare. I had to wait 25 years yeah. for the series. Yeah. To I caught the end of tape. Um, at Ireland, yeah. they still had the twenty-four track, and we were using it a lot, and and obviously the sixteen track, and we used that a lot. But it was all synced up to the computers, so we'd have the sync to even on the sixteen track, we'd have that synced up to the Atari. So you'd be running the MIDI off the sync yeah. along with the vocals. So it was both worlds again. It was the electronic yeah. and the analog. So it was mixing, and now obviously we do the same, but in logical Pro Tools or whatever we're yeah. using. Let's talk about mixing. How do you how do you approach mixing? How do you you know? I give you a song. Where, where do you start? What do you do? I sometimes only mix. Yeah. But more of the time, I'm mixing something that I've produced. So okay. it's an it's a ongoing situation. Okay. <laughs> so even from the very first day, I'm still in. I'm in always in mix mode. I'm not the kind of person who likes to sit there and with the. I don't know the guitar really loud going, oh, but that's not going to be that loud later. Obviously, when you're recording something, you're checking it, but I don't like to not be in a mixed situation. I always like to hear it because everything is relatable to everything else. And if you've got a guitar that's really loud, but you can't hear the piano, but how do you possibly know they're working together or doing the right thing together? Or So with that situation, it's an ongoing situation. So when we finish a mix, it's pushing it to the finish line. It's 90% there, maybe. Right, okay. 80, 90% yeah. there. And then we'll go, right, now we'll mix it, which means just really fine-tuning. Polishing it up. Yeah, really, really polishing Really focusing, focusing on the balance. And exactly, exactly. EQ. And, and but most like of it is kind of done, I would say, by that point. On an on, on a go ongoing basis as you're, as you're writing yeah, from the start? Continually tweaking all the time. I or, can't help it. You, okay. I can't help it. Even just, if it's do you just, have the image in your head? like of Because obviously when you're writing, yeah. you've got no idea of what that song is. But I, I presume at some point, you do the the idea presents itself to you in a in a very clear way, and is that the point where you think, okay, I started to build a picture now? Yeah, and but I'm always what, even what, if it was just piano is. and vocals, or even just the, I'm always trying to get that to sound as good as it possibly can. So sure. I'll always be going straight for the whatever reverbs or you know trying to yeah. just inspire sonically as well, not just uh, musically. Right, uh, and that can inspire sometimes. You realise actually, I don't need to put much more on because this is there's enough here. Yeah. Just by what I've put on here, or the effects, or I've put a you know reverb on, and that's oh, it's fine. But uh, now and again, I do get approached just to mix something. Yeah. Um, as I'm doing, actually, funny enough, these next few days, I'm just mixing a few tunes that I haven't produced. I would 
listen to the rough mix. Obviously, they usually send me a rough mix. Yeah. And then I won't listen to it for a while because I'll have gathered the kind of snapshot of what they were trying to do. Then I'll do my own thing uh, and trying to get it sound as, as amazing as it can. Vocals first. I re- if, if the lead vocal's not right, I always say this, I've said this for many years, if the lo- lead vocal's not right, it's all over for me. For me. Right. Um, so do you, how would you approach that with the band? How would you approach that with your client? Would you go back to them? Uh, no, no, I mean, if it's oh, sonically. Mean, sonically, you mean in terms of the sound? Yeah, okay, not performance. sonically. Not performance, but I'll have listened to the track by then and heard it, so I would have yeah. known whether it had been finished or not. Um, and maybe suggested that that it needed some tweaks before I sure. even mix it. Uh, but I'm not afraid to add stuff as well. I'll always say, look, if I need to add anything or if it's for the for the right purpose, you know, if it makes the song better or the mix better, then I'll add trigger stuck new drums or something okay. yeah. um, or add some pads or something you never know you never what I think it needs I'll sure. try and make yeah. it as, it, it, won't be, uh, as it won't be something that's totally different to what's going on I'll, I'll try and be as subtle as I can or or like as, uh, yeah I'll try and be as uh, complimentary to what's going on you know. um, but yeah I'll, I'll then listen to the rough mix and I'll switch between what I'm doing and then their mix and go okay phew I'm, I'm better than what was going on before and it's sounding a lot better sometimes it's not sometimes it's so production driven the, the the demo or the rough mix that you have to push it more and that's the challenge again yeah sure but lead vocal I try and get right first and try and get that sound as great as it can and then drums and, and then work in the extra stuff as well the framework of the song and obviously you know, by now I've got a million plugins and outboard stuff that I can usually get a half decent vocal sounding really nice and really good. When you're producing your own stuff, do you ever suffer from demoitis? Where you've done something for so long in a particular way that you could never come away from it, no matter what you think. Yeah, but in that case, I'd probably use the demo. <laughs> Sometimes sure. you just do. Right, sometimes, okay. yeah. like we were saying earlier about capturing everything, sometimes you've we've recorded a vocal or something, maybe it's a piano or something, a guitar, or I've plugged a guitar in here and roughly done something, and then you go into a big studio and record the guitar properly with somebody else, and then you go, actually, that whatever's best. Yeah. I really don't mind muting an orchestra if it's wrong, or muting... Uh, we had... We did on some tunes, just yeah. muted the whole string section. We went to just didn't work. You know, record. If it's not right, yeah, what's the work. point? It doesn't yeah. matter how long it took, how much it cost. If it's not right for the record, why would you put that on? You know, that takes a lot of bravery, though, doesn't it? That takes yeah. a lot of experience. Okay. Yeah, to, to I trust my to... gut, though. If my gut's telling me what I'm, that's the only thing I've got to rely on, and we've all got to rely on. Actually, well, there's no like rules, when, is there? When, really? when you first start recording, you record a drum kit with fifteen microphones. Yeah. And you sort of, in some way, feel compelled to use them all. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it takes a lot of time for that to go, I, I only need four. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe you, you know? need, yeah, maybe you do need them all sometimes. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah, depends. Saying, but, but yeah, but to, to go. But to mute them and oh, yeah. to take them out. Or to trigger new drums off. Or to trigger new drums, you think. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh. it, I think whatever's right, whatever your gut's telling you, you have to go on that. I think that's the one rule that I think everybody should go on, really, if there's one thing to uh, guide yourself by is your gut. and the, Yeah. That's what every producer, what every engineer, what every uh, record label, what every you go on your gut, you yeah. hear a tune, you go that is incredible. I don't what I don't care. It's the demo. I don't care if it's yeah. taken fifteen years to record. That's amazing. That's yeah. whatever you've got there is is just incredible. And well, wise words. What's a process that you do? Maybe not every time, but a lot of the time. In this, is that a spin weaver? That was my uh, that was my answer. <laughs> I just noticed it on yes, the wall there. <laughs> the pipe. It is. It's a great British spring. Is that your piece? It's one of them. Yeah. What else have you got? Well, that and the profit, I would say. Uh, and the Juno. Oh, how many can I have? You can have as many as you like. Okay, it's well, not Desert yeah. Island discs. You, you can't <laughs> just take one. Desert yeah, Island synths. I would say Desert Island synths. There you go. So, how would you would you ask me that question then, Rizzi? Would you I'm say? Asking that oh, question. you are asking. <laughs> what's, so, what, what's the piece of equipment that what's you'd always the piece use? of equipment that I always use? I would actually say, use, you know. if I had to narrow it down, it would be the Juno. Yeah. The yeah. One yeah. I've had that since I was, uh, you know, in my twenties. Amazing. Back in the day. So that's like twenty-five. Yeah, that is years an old. absolute killer synth. It's it, it always delivers. Yeah. If I'm writing, I pretty much always gravitate to it. 
I know it's got not got a million sounds in it, but the sounds that are in it are just, and I know it back to front. Yeah. Weirdly, I can still, if you said to me, get the brass sound from the manual, yeah. I could get the brass sound from the manual in about 20 seconds. I know the positions of the faders. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, they used to draw snapshots. Yeah, of this I is how you, you know, there's presets on it. I, I don't know, but they'd show you those things. In, so in I can the really badly translated well. Roland yeah, manuals. Yeah. Like, but I absolutely love it. And my new acquisition is the Prophet 6, which is like another level. It's like, I absolutely love it. And it, it's where the Juno ends. It carries on into the rest of the universe. It's got the distortion in it. It's got reverbs and effects and stuff. So you can really, some of the sounds you just don't know come out of a synth out of that thing. And you just spotted on the wall is my spring reverb. Yeah. Which is a, called a Great British Spring. Fantastic pun. Yeah. Um, and... I bought that on eBay maybe about six years ago. And I was obviously with the dub and things like that yeah, yeah. Uh, and reggae. I've used Spring Reverbs. Of course. It, but that's Always. like the ultimate for me. It's a six, five feet long drain pipe yeah, with brilliant. loads of strip springs, four springs in it or something. And I have that permanently uh, on the mixing desk here. And when somebody's singing, that is the reverb I put on their voice. Okay. And it always inspires. And sometimes it's like, what is that? And I'll end up using it sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I won't. But it's, Do you it's such it now, a... like, to, to take? Yeah, like, yeah. To take I'll, I'll put the comp the through yeah. eventually. Um, I'll record the comp if it, if it yeah. still suits. But it's such a nice dark reverb that it really glues the track. It's great on drums too. And guitars. Oh, it's good on everything. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, those would be my... What about your favourite... What about plugin wise? I... Is this something that you're using a lot of? Always. This is giving away my secrets. Yeah, They're obviously. not really secrets. I love the Valhalla reverbs. Yeah, everyone's everyone's saying Everyone. that. A lot of people are saying that. And they're so I've cheap. been using them for ages. I've been using them for... I absolutely love them. The Shimmer. Uh, yeah, love yeah. them all. I mean, they're just really good. And they're cheap. Yeah, $59. It's yeah, like, something like that. You're not going to get that, a better yeah. deal. Yeah. I love the UAD stuff. Yeah. I've got a UAD Apollo here. Is that, is that your interface? Yeah. Is that your interface yeah. now? Uh, so I've got some nice choice ones, obviously, all the compressors and reverbs and the EMT plate and all that. Uh, I use quite a bit of wave stuff as well. The CLA compressors and stuff are very yeah. good. Yeah. I still gravitate towards them. I've got so many plugins now. You've got to, you know, especially with Black Friday just happening, I've got myself <laughs> a few more, swagged a few more bargains. Too but I try and it's like one of those things where when you start, you think every plugin is the answer to all your problems. Oh, my mix is going to be so much better with yeah. that on the mix bus or that on the drums or the. Actually, it'd be interesting to set a challenge for everybody just to use the internal Logic plugin and see how well you did. Because I bet actually a lot of it would be as good. I would miss a few of those those choice plugins. The UAD, the UAD EQs, the SSL stuff, and all yeah, that. The sure. um, the the E series EQ and stuff. It's just brilliant, and it takes me back to my desk days. I don't yeah. know if you noticed, I've still got my, I've got this Behringer X Touch in front of the, yes, yes, in front of the uh, computer there, just at my kind of, just behind my computer keyboard, and I feel like having faders in front of me makes me feel comfortable. When I don't have it, when I'm somewhere else, I feel really, uh, I don't feel naked. complete. Yeah, a bit naked. Uh, yeah. yeah, so just grabbing a, you know, be, seeing the vocal up and being grabbing the vocal, the touch fader, and being able to do a ride on it or something, or just grab the, grab a few and do a drum balance. It makes me feel more comfortable. I've come from that yeah. mixing desk background, and I and I love getting in. I, the the room next door to mine here. This is we're currently sitting in my kind of writing mixing room, which isn't a massive room, but it's lovely, and it, I've got all my synths here, and I'm very happy here. But next door is a lovely big Neve room with a, a um, owned by Brendan Lynch. Yeah, um, lovely he's got a lovely live room in there as well. So if I need to do something, drums, guitars, whatever, I go in there, and we typically go in there. Or Rack, uh, where Roy is based, we go in there a lot as well. So. And pianos and things like that. But yeah, so I can go in there and, and get excited about the mixing desk and all the outboard and uh, there's tons of it. In yeah, there, so. there's loads of lovely preamps in that room. Beautiful. Lovely. Max I know. Uh, Hayes, who, who was the engineer in there, absolutely knows it back to front. He gets the greatest sounds out of that room. It's just incredible. That's what it's all about, isn't it, really? Knowing the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I try and bring some of that into my uh, logic sessions. So, for instance, I know a lot of people will put a reverb as an insert these days, but, um, but I set up my sessions like the uh, you know my outboard well, side. I have one it. long reverb, yeah. one short reverb, a couple of delays, a couple of. I'd use those on the buses. Yeah. So I'm sending lots of things to yeah. them, not just one thing for one thing kind of thing. So I still treat it like an outboard. Uh, I just best, it's just yeah. inbuilt. I can't. That's the way I tend to work. But the last section is dither and delay and that's not about the technical dither and delay that's that's about 
what you try to avoid in the studio as opposed to what you like to do? Well, exactly that, dither and delay. I don't like things stopping. I don't really like pauses. If there's not something happening in the studio, I do get very... I like to keep things moving because that's the point where everybody can go down rabbit holes and start... Logic can kick in. You know, I was saying about going on my gut earlier. Yeah. That's Everybody goes on their gut. And it, once you start to let logic kick in with music especially you, well I can't do that I, I can't use that I recorded that on a bad mic or I took ages doing that well, but that's no reason to keep something yeah. if it's not right it's not right so as soon as you start to let logic kick in on, on music it's, uh, that's for me kills the, kills the vibe as Sigrid says um, so I don't like dither and delay sure I move pretty quick, and it, it, musically and and production wise, I like to get the 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 essence of what's going on pretty quick, and uh, and I know Roy does too as well. So we we tend to get somewhere really quick, and and not let anybody look down any rabbit holes, because you can start to you know. That's like, a, that's a good way of putting it. Rabbit holes is is a good way of painting that picture of what you talk about, stopping the process and not not allowing people. To use logic, I quite like that. That's, and also, that's... if if you know, just do something else. If something's not working, work on something else, and then come back to it. And actually, probably then, when your gut's telling you again, yeah, then that's when you'll know, yeah, what to do. Usually, if I don't listen to a mix for about three or four days, I'll play it, or I'll play it in front of somebody else. How weird is that when you play a mix in yeah. front of somebody else? Always you hear different. it differently? Yeah, always. I don't quite understand the psychology of that, but yeah. I know that it works, and I immediately know what's wrong with it. Yeah. It's too fast, it's too slow, it's too... That needs to come up. The vocal's not loud enough. Yeah. It's, new, yeah. I agree. it's not right yet, it's not finished. I don't, However, whatever I thought when I was on my own, I immediately know. So having not listened to something for a few days is another one as well. Leave it, just leave it. Why force something? It's music. We have that luxury, don't we, nowadays with the computer? We have that, I mean, obviously, yeah. in days gone by, you... you you went in at 10 in the morning. Very true. And you could not leave the studio until it was, in brackets, finished. Very true. Maybe you know? that's why we don't get so many crazy late nights anymore, because we can actually stop and work yeah. out a few days later. A bit more civilised. Yeah, that, a total recall. And, you know, yeah. that we used to have to, well, not me, but uh, I know I did for a while, writing all the settings down on yeah. all the delay. Yeah. It'd never, never come back the same. Too many late nights. But at least, you, oh, my goodness, yeah. Taking photos of the, you know, of all the, uh, all the settings on all the delays and reverbs and, but, you know, those days are... I mean, some people still do that. And there is a magic in that. Of, yes. You know, that's what we did and it's done and that's it. We did yeah. a mix and that's it. For sure. Whatever. And sometimes there is great work come out of that because you know you have to be right there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's the other flip side is that... Well, it's like making choices, isn't it? Having, it's like having eight tracks as opposed to 800. Yeah. You've got to make that choice, haven't you? Absolutely. And some of the... But, you know, my early days of recording was on a Tascam Porter studio. Do you remember the yeah, four-track cassette? yeah. And so I listened back to some of that stuff, and it sounds great for what it was. And you had yeah. to make decisions, like you said. You had to bass and drums. You had to bounce on a one track. Yeah. Beatles style, you know. So you had to make those decisions, and that's what it is, and you had no choice later. So sometimes you had to get it right. And I think there is a, a thing of actually you have to make decisions, even in these days of a thousand tracks, yeah. possibilities. It's about the music, not about the technology. The technology is the enabling. Yes. And, oh, that's the other thing. I hate technology getting in the way of something. If I'm trying to get something set up and it's just not working, I just get so that's frustrated. It, you just go straight on to I'll go else, something like, else. No, this yeah. is not working. I'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah, because that's the worst thing. That's, 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 the, that's the rabbit hole. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? It is. You're losing, especially when you're writing. I'll get something down, even if it's on a voice note or whatever, because great example that, a uh, song we wrote with Aurora, All Is Soft Inside, it's called. She started on the thumb piano. We came up with the wrote the song with her, went for lunch, recorded her voice, the melodies on my phone, which I still have, I found it the other day, came back from lunch and she sang something totally different. And I remember going, but that's not what you sang earlier. That's not as good as what you... And luckily I'd recorded it on my phone. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Actually, Always recorded. And that's Even the song. Even on the phone, that's, that's amazing. That's the song. And, and, and we wouldn't have had that. We'd have forgotten it. Yeah. Had, uh, well, had, it, would have been, it would have been something different. It might have been slightly yeah. almost there, but it wasn't that. Yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't that. that magic. And, and thank goodness, because it's just a great song. It's yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite things I've ever, ever written, really. Yeah, record everything all the time. Like we're recording this. Oh, yeah, you did we press are. record. Yeah, right? we are recording, yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> Don't want to do all that again. Yeah, should we, should, we go, should we go for one now? Yeah. I think that's a lovely way to end it. Tim, thanks for your time on Mixbus. It's great to see you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. 
don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the whole series on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join me for the next episode, and until then, goodbye.